0: Welcome to another of our Shoesmiths podcasts. Today we're looking at artificial intelligence and the workplace. Uh, I'm Robert Forsyth, an employment partner in Shoesmiths London team, and I'm very fortunate to be joined by Alex Kirkhope and Joe Tunnicliffe.
1: My name's Joe Tunnicliffe. I am a senior associate in the employment team at Shoesmiths. I'm based in the Birmingham office. Um, and just have a real interest in AI and how it affects employers at the minute.
2: And I'm Alex Kirkhope. I'm a technology partner within uh, Shoesmith's commercial team uh, and I also head up
0: um, uh, Shoesmith's AI practice. Great, thanks both. We've seen a a huge amount in the the press recently about artificial intelligence and how it's affecting workforces, employers and, and strategy of companies over the next few years. And we thought it would be a good idea just to look at some of the themes that we've seen, our thoughts on how uh, some of those issues might play out uh, for companies with a view to the impact on their workforces, and also to consider some of the regulatory uh, and uh, privacy aspects of using artificial intelligence. There's a lot of talk about artificial intelligence, and w- we've also seen. Uh, recently references to generative uh, artificial intelligence. So Alex, could you please update us on you know, where we where we currently are in terms of historical use of artificial intelligence and, and what the difference is between that and generative artificial intelligence, please?
2: Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, one of the interesting things uh, in the premise of your question, of course, is um, probably something that everyone has seen across the board uh, wherever they are in within industry which is um you'd almost be forgiven for thinking that artificial intelligence uh, and its various generative uh, models uh, only started in in the autumn of uh, 2022 with, with the launch of chat and of course artificial intelligence has a a much much longer um history in in terms of technology within both the uk and internationally um you know you, you sort of look back to the 1950s for its origins um, of the first artificial intelligence machines and models, um, but of course, in in the interim, you know uh, the technology companies, you know the large technology players, and industry in general have been looking at how artificial intelligence can be used uh, as a technology to streamline what they do, to build efficiencies into their businesses, um, and. And, and generally reform the way in which their companies operate. Now, I suppose when we're looking at that, you know, question number one is, well, what, what is artificial intelligence? And in broad terms, it's simply the collation of data and materials into a format which can be computed in a way which drives automated uh, processes. That's what it boils down to. Uh, and obviously, most recently in the headlines, we've seen generative AI everywhere. ChatGPT and its uh, and its near relations, and essentially all ChatGPT is uh, and those other generative AI models um, are very large collected datasets, which um, you know through through some level of autonomy themselves create content, uh, images, text, music, or or other outputs when 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 text is entered into them so you know automatically you think of those technologies and you think well you know clearly they are going to be of revolutionary impact uh, in the workplace in business in technology uh, in general in, in in our everyday lives but that doesn't mean you know these things haven't been around for a very long time in, in terms of that sudden rush of uh, a sort of public consciousness it, in a similar vein governments and regulators have been looking at this technology um, in some cases for some time now. You know, you only have to look across uh, the channel to our neighbours in the EU. I think their first uh, regulatory foray was back in 2020 when the commission published uh, a white paper on on AI to to sort of launch its thoughts on on how that would be regulated. Um, over here in the UK, um, we've been slightly more tardy, I think, is, 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 is the fair summary. And, and in March of this year, the government launched uh, its own white paper on AI regulation. Um, and maybe we'll come to a bit later in terms of the different approaches that, that those regulatory regimes are looking to take. But you know, the, these things have been thought about across the US, China, EU, UK, and other major jurisdictions. And um, clearly from an employer's point of view, the, the focus of, of their application is going to be around the way in which workforces um, are organized, uh, structured, sized, and yeah, I guess we're going to come on in the remainder of this discussion to, to think about some of those impacts.
0: Thank you very much uh, indeed, Alex. Joe, just picking up on some of Alex's points there. One of the things we, we've seen mentioned uh, a lot is that uh, AI is going to uh, replace a number of uh, a number of jobs, a number of roles. Is that what you're seeing?
1: yes definitely i think when we're talking about ai in the press a lot of the um commentary that's coming out is really this um underpinning that ai is going to replace everybody's job and you know that's not a piece that's come out of nothing you know there has obviously been reports um you know as recently as sort of the past few months that sort of predict that it is going to have huge impacts on uh, the workforce across industry. Um, So most recently, there was a report by Goldman Sachs that um, predicted that it could affect 300 million jobs across the the EU and the US, um, potentially being lost to automation. So there is obviously uh, the concern that it's going to affect people's livelihoods but I think the the wider picture is how can employers use AI to their benefit, not just in terms of, you know, cutting costs, which is something we'll touch on later, but how can the power of AI be harnessed to, you know, make businesses more efficient?
0: That's right, improve efficiency and, and, and also look at some roles that can be carried out by AI systems that free up. Uh, employees to do you know more interesting or slightly different work, and that will involve you know, some careful analysis and potentially some some retraining. And businesses will need to think strategically about uh, exactly what roles can be created in in their um, markets. Automotive is certainly one where uh, I think there's a, a huge focus on customer selection of of vehicles and and trim, um, and that will be, will be far more led by humans as opposed to some of the manufacturing, which will, you know, will, will only uh, increase in its, uh, in its use of AI. There is a bit of an elephant in the room, Alex, isn't there in terms of sort of implementation of of artificial intelligence systems uh, by companies. And there's been a number of cases and, and concerns expressed as to discriminatory results and, and inbuilt. Bias, um, which you know, is something that, that that companies will need to think carefully of, you know, from a liability and reputational perspective.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, Let's think about the, these technologies. By their very nature, they are made up of huge data sets on which the software that they run on uh, will 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 pick up those data sets and generate outputs. Now, when you are dealing with um, such a vast um, amounts of information, clearly there is huge potential for uh, those data sets to either inherently be biased um, at the point at which they're put together, and that's entirely in the hands of the humans who are developing them, uh, or even over time to um, develop biases because of the way they are continually learning, i.e. they're sucking in further information. And there is a tendency within, um, uh, within AI models for biases to be almost embedded and exaggerated as they go on we only need to see some of the headlines around um, some of the outputs of generative ai where you know it's told people to to make decisions about their lives or either recommending things or or you know giving advice on things where it's clearly either incorrect or in places you know what's called hallucinations which is almost the ai is is good enough that it can make up an answer (laughs) Uh, and give you you know give you you entirely wrong guidance and when you put that into a workplace um, context clearly the implications of that could be really serious it could affect decisions that are made about um, you know the employee base uh, of a company it could actually for employees who are not going anywhere uh, impact decisions that they make in running the business or in giving advice to external clients or you know things like that so you know this has to be approached with, with extreme caution, particularly where it's being rolled out within a corporate context. Um, and some of this is new, but some of this actually is just building on existing regulatory frameworks. So we only have to think about, you know, the existing data privacy laws, whether it's in the EU or the UK or, or elsewhere. Um, those will continue to apply in exactly the same way, you know, whether you're using AI or whether you're using sort of more traditional software. Technologies, Um, so you know our clients and and businesses in general should be coming at this, um, not thinking this is entirely new. It's a sort of greenfield site, and you know it's all brave new world. We can we can dive in and do this. It's actually thinking about what are our existing data privacy protocols and governance regimes, because we need to make sure those are applied uh, in an AI context in exactly the same way we would. If we were, you know, buying a new IT system into the into the company or, or taking other decisions um, that weren't driven by AI, so yeah, there the, the, there is huge there is huge um, potential for bias or, or discrimination, and obviously, in a, in, a, in a workplace setting, that is um, well, it's it's no more important than elsewhere, but it it, it can have you know some really um, potentially
0: serious implications. Thank you, Alex. And uh, we've seen recently in the in the US uh, a hallucination of exactly the kind you referred to when a lawyer over there had asked ChatGPT to to write their closing submissions, and um, the case references didn't exist, despite appearing on the face of it to be very uh, convincing. Joe, we're seeing a lot of businesses look at using AI to assist with their recruitment and internal promotion processes, what would you suggest that businesses need to to consider when they're implementing artificial intelligence in that way?
1: Similar to what Alex said in terms of the effects that um, having automated processes can have, um, essentially what it comes down to is the data modelling is only as good as the data that it's originally given. So there are some platforms that are using AI to really streamline recruitment processes. So for example, um, you know, platforms can post targeted ads for job roles based on the type of candidate that they believe would be successful in that role, um, which is obviously narrowing the field, you know, they would, they would argue in terms of, you know, having a, a better success rate for each applicant. But on the flip side of that, you're you know, cutting out a whole range of people who, you know, might not be in line with who you've employed previously. Um, So that can have, you know, knock on effects in terms of diversity and things like that. And similarly, there's also AI models which are now used to filter through CVs for applicants and specifically search for phrases or qualifications which have been pre-selected by the employer to you know target people that they think you know would be perfect for that role and then less commonly but it's also possible to profile video interviews as well so software has been developed and used that essentially recognizes characteristics within candidates that that particular employer is targeting so that can include things such as um speech patterns picking up on any accents and things like that which again is sort of just automatically targeting a certain set of people based on the data that the model is given and and that can lead to to flawed recruitment processes as well because there can be issues when that data is carried out and and isn't necessarily thought through in terms of you know whether there is a an inherent risk of bias in that situation so again i would just say that there you know is clearly need to exercise caution when things like this are being put in place and the same is true for for promotions as well in terms of applications and the whole uh, sort of automated decision making being taken too far in terms of there not being any checks and balances in place.
2: I, I think that's a really good point, and you know we only have to look out to the um, the regulatory regimes that are in the offing, such as they are so far, um, and in particular um, over at the EU, um, where their draft AI Act, which is getting towards the end actually of its of its uh, legislative process, it classifies um, AI systems depending on the, the degree of risk. Um, uh that those that those systems pose with the highest being unacceptable risk and then sort of going through high medium low um and actually you only have to look at the way in which those unacceptable and high risk implementations of ai are categorized to see that there will be real impacts on sort of people and employment based uh use cases for ai so you know, if you look at the unacceptable risk. Uh, category under the, the EU's regime. It's talking about cognitive behavioral behavioural manipulation. It's talking about social scoring, i.e. systems that classify people based on their you know their behavior, their socioeconomic background or their personal characteristics and then sort of biometric data. But then even if you go down into sort of the, the higher and medium risks, it's very much there is a strong focus on things which affect individuals their employment um you know management of workers um uh, and self-employment statuses things like that you can very quickly see how uh in a, in a in a workplace and workforce setting you know ai systems making automated decisions about things could very quickly cause problematic yeah. outcomes um so you know these are things which even if they are not well, I, I imagine a lot of these things are already. You'll, you'll tell me better than I know, but you know these things will be dealt with to some degree in existing legislation. But if you think that um, you know there isn't going to be a whole additional layer of uh, regulation around this over the coming years, then it's probably a good idea to, uh, to start reading up on it and getting getting
0: advice. That's absolutely right, Alex. And so we have seen, yeah, already, particularly in relation to draw applicants, people submitting several copies of their CV, some of which don't contain their protected characteristics. And if those CVs are then picked for interview or or offered roles, then the Equality Act gives them a right of redress in terms of bringing a claim for discrimination based on those multiple CVs having been submitted. And whilst that's been around for a number of years now, I suppose if you're using artificial intelligence systems in your recruitment process and they're making that decision for you, then whilst as an employer you you will be receiving the the claim in the employment tribunal and potentially the negative PR and uh, damage to your reputation in the press, there are also obviously secondary Uh, claims in the background and issues of liability and responsibility uh, ultimately as to who, you know, was responsible for making that decision. Alex, from what you said earlier, it doesn't sound like it's very clear exactly where liability would sit within the UK currently. And there's also the issue that PR damage once done uh, cannot be
2: undone. I think that's right i mean in terms of the liability question you've got to accept that ai systems by their nature uh, have quite a complex supply chain so you know you've got everyone from um you know the the company that's deploying a system and its end users um all the way back to the software coder who uh you know was 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 putting the code in place in order to you know drive the algorithms that produce the outputs of that system and therefore, from a liability perspective, it creates it creates real questions as to who is responsible where something goes wrong. You know, you only have to think about something like you mentioned the automotive sector earlier. you've got self-driving cars that are relying on AI models to um, uh, regulate their behavior, then you know suddenly someone gets run over. Um, and and you have a very complex nexus of of, of responsibility behind it. You know, it's probably the best example I can think of. In terms of PR, um, you know, I think equally, almost putting aside the legal questions as to who is ultimately responsible. Um, you know, if your organization is involved in a an, an incident or, you know, a claim relating to the use and deployment of AI, then whether or not you were responsible, um, uh, there's still likely to be PR implications for you. Um, and certainly in terms of regulatory regimes, the senior management of, of companies you know, cannot get away from responsibility for deploying and being responsible for the outputs of AI that they're using their businesses. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's something that the boards of companies need to think about very carefully.
0: Absolutely, they'll need to be be totally comfortable with the processes that that they're using. Joe, given what we've just heard in terms of sort of the you know, the scare stories that have been in the press and yeah, you know, the clear potential for companies to suffer harm, C- can we see businesses being able to harness AI effectively and um, you know, within an acceptable sort of tolerance of risk?
1: I think so, but I think there'll be probably a, a sort of huge adjustment period, particularly for employers, um, to weigh up the pros and cons of introducing AI into the workplace Um I think a lot of the time it's going to take um you know a a top-down approach in terms of employers who you know probably want to avoid redundancies and things like that really needing to do an assessment of their business and seeing potentially where ai can fit in quite neatly and other areas where it it could fit in but it might cause some wider issues um the sort of overwhelming risk for employees will be whether they're then put at risk of redundancy as a result of AI being implemented. Um, and I I think it was BT who earlier this year announced that they were planning to cut between 40,000 and 55,000 jobs by 2030, um, with the expectation that 10,000 of those would be replaced by AI. Um, now, that's obviously not going to be applicable to all employers, but the fact that you know one of the biggest employers is coming out with figures like that in terms of how AI is going to affect them, I think it you know does indicate that it's something that employers need to address head on and really do a, a proper assessment of the the positives and negatives that AI could have on their on their business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we um, we saw that article uh, in relation to their potential global. Headcount reduction. Um, Joe, d- d- just picking up on one of the points you made there and this replacement and augmentation uh, debate that circles artificial intelligence and in its adoption, do we think that in terms of sort of takeaways, are there particular roles or industries where we see an accelerated uh, use of generative AI? Do you think?
1: I think so. It will be it will be very job specific as to, you know, how AI can quite easily replace certain jobs. Um there's a school of thought um within a book called Rule of the Robots, which is by Martin Ford, that essentially splits up the sort of AI takeover into three separate areas. So creative jobs is one area where you know if you're not doing formulaic work or um, you know if you're in a an industry where you there's a genuine need to come up with new ideas and constantly build something new um, there's a school of thought that that job in theory is relatively safe from AI. Um, secondly there's highly interpersonal jobs where you need a deep understanding of um, people and you know your response to something very much changes on who you're talking to or who you're interacting with Um they can be sort of less likely to be at risk and then thirdly the sort of unpredictable problem-solving jobs um Which also tend to have um, an interpersonal um, skill to them as well. So these are things like plumbers or electricians, you know, where you need to be able to interact with people, but also it involves a lot of dexterity and mobility um, and knowledge in terms of solving problems in sometimes unpredictable environments. Um, So they're just three examples of, you know, areas where jobs might be deemed to be sort of safe. Um, but I think as, you know, technology continues to evolve and, you know, AI is only going to become, um, you know, a much more prevalent issue for, for employers to address, I, I don't think we can say with certainty that, you know, anything is sort of risk-free at this stage.
2: I mean, there's some there's some interesting uh, questions that are raised there um, around the perception of some of these systems, because I saw a really interesting output um, recently from uh, a customer relations uh chatbot that had been deployed by one of the, the leading uk um energy companies and actually the empathy score um that came out for their automators chatbot exceeded the empathy score that came sure. their um you know their, their their human um customer relations um uh, service now Clearly, that is one case, and you know it's very subjective. Uh, I don't know what the sample size was of that, but there is an interesting question there around you know um, some of the assumptions we make around AI and how it's used. Um, depending on the sophistication and the quality of the you know the system that, that that's involved, um, you know th- th- there is real there is real potential for these things to um, you know to be deployed wide scale without impacting actually. Um, you know end results for that for that company. However, there are also a lot of risks attached and therefore and that's why some of the uh, uh, research and um, you know, protections you need to put in place around these things um, are going to be so important.
0: Yeah, absolutely and I, I see that use of AI is one of the areas that has led to the current strike amongst the screenwriters and, and actors over the last week also. And Alex, you've touched on already the EU has been working on uh, regulation in this uh, space. So looking uh, ahead, do you think we can expect to see the UK uh, following uh, the same path?
2: Well, as I I mentioned earlier, the UK government uh, issued its white paper in in March 2023. the truth is on the face of it, that looks to take a very different approach to the EU. So the EU, um, you know, a bit like it has a GDPR, is looking to give that big central um, regulatory doorstep of, a, of legislation, um, which is the AI Act. The UK's white paper essentially is saying, we're not going to specifically legislate for this yet, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to uh, rely on existing frameworks, things like the UK GDPR, Data Protection Act, um, and also the you know devolve regulation of AI to the individual industry and sector regulators, so whether that's the FCA and the ICO or, or whoever. Now that is just a white paper. And actually in the in the months that followed the publication of that white paper, we've seen um, you know the Prime Minister uh, meeting with um, you know, industry leaders in AI and very much, you know, counter to what the white paper said, saying, actually, now we've got to look at this very carefully. I think in part reacting to how industry took took the AI white paper, um, where they said, hang on, we'd actually quite like to have a bit more uh, you know, tram lines, uh, guard rails, whatever you want to call them uh, around this. So not least because of where we are in the electoral cycle in the UK. Uh, it will be interesting to see where that goes over the next 12 months, whether that light touch, um, you know, innovation-driven um, approach survives contact with, with, with real life and also just public opinion and opinion of, of industry. So it's very much watched this space from a UK perspective. Now, having said that, of course, the EU legislation, you know, as with lots of EU uh, laws, has extraterritorial application. And so whether you're uh, based within the uh, UK or not, if you're selling into the EU, um, you are going to, when that uh, legislation is implemented, have to uh, comply as a, as a provider into member states. So, you know, the idea that if you're if you're in the UK, you can kind of park this for a while and see what happens, um, is it, probably not uh, advisable if, if you are deploying AI solutions in your business. Um, looking the other direction across the Atlantic, um, the White House has, has published a draft, um, sort of they've called it an AI Bill of Rights, which is looking to secure in a very sort of US constitutional way, you know, the, the fundamental rights of citizens uh, when it comes to interactions with AI. So again, that hasn't reached any kind of sort of concrete um, legislative basis yet. Um, but it you, you do feel it, it's probably headed that way in one form or another. Now we'd expect the US probably a bit like the UK to try not to intervene where it it doesn't have to but it, it again it may come down to where that balance of public opinion falls uh, politically uh, or otherwise um, as, to, as to how heavy-handed or, or not they are. but you know whichever direction you look, um, you know regulation is going to be appearing and evolving. Over the next twelve months, and certainly over the next sort of three to five years, in in the use of these technologies.
0: Thank you, Alex. Yes, absolutely. And we've also seen tougher stance being taken by a number of regulators across US, UK, and EU in relation to enforcement in in sort of similar areas. So, companies will need to be very alive to exactly what uh, regulations and laws they are they are called by, depending on. On where they operate, uh, as you said. Joe, are, are there any um sort of final points you'd like to add from uh, from an
1: employment perspective? I think um just being switched on to the the wider issues in terms of discrimination and and bias because they're most likely to be the things that employees are, are alive to as well. Um so just being aware of the usual processes to follow when you are looking to, you know, recruit somebody to a role or promote somebody internally. Um, just the, the fact that, you know, these um new technologies aren't yet in final form and that there are risks to be associated with them.
0: Absolutely right. Well, thank you very much indeed, Joe and Alex. And um We look forward to uh, speaking again soon. Thank you. Thanks very much.